Hey everybody, just a quick note before we dive into the interview. This episode is releasing on Saturday the 22nd of June, and as of today there are four days left to jump in on the Kickstarter. The Kickstarter is king for a day, and is an update to the original book including better art, editing, and a cleaner layout. If you already own the original PDF, you'll get the updated version free of charge. The print edition will be different and is a limited print run and not print on demand. That means higher quality paper and cover, and once they're gone, they're gone. So check it out and tell Jim, Legends of Tabletop sent you. Hi, I'm Jim Pinto on Legends of Tabletop. What's up, Leah? What's up, Jim? <laughs> Did we tell them what happened? No, no. This is a clean slate. Okay, so nothing happened. Great. All right. This is the magic of radio. Absolutely. Web streaming, whatever. So, yes, if you could please introduce yourself, Jim. No, no, I'm tired of no. doing that. Not, never again. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm speaking with Jim Pinto of Post World <laughs> Games today, and he's here to promote his latest Kickstarter, which is, which I'm pretty stoked about. It's King for a Day, the revised edition yes. of a very, very popular game. And so we had been talking about it before my server so rudely kicked us off. Uh, well, it kicked me off my own Yeah, I was server. still here, by the way. I was just looking at you frozen. <laughs> no, now, now I'm upstairs where it's hot. But that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. These are the sacrifices that yeah, I made. You, you suffer for your art. I get it. <laughs> Speaking of suffering for art, we were just talking about the uh, first Kickstarter for King for a Day. Yes. Which was a smash success. It was by the way. not. <laughs> it was not. It barely made any money. I lost money. No. Oh. Uh, shipping rates changed on me after I uh, launched it, and mm -hmm. this was before. This was six, seven years ago. Oh man. So this, yeah, this was. Uh, I want to say May of 2012. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, yeah, seven years ago I launched that Kickstarter. Only I didn't even realize that, and so. Uh, you couldn't add, there was no additional step for adding shipping rates. So you just had to charge everybody in the world the same rate for shipping. It was baked into your your book. Mm. And shipping that thing overseas, um, once you exceeded a certain size, you can't use media mail overseas. So, no. And I'm going to run into that with this one again because it's not POD. Uh, normally, there's a POD machine in England. So mm -hmm. when you're when you're shipping to most of europe the price isn't that bad uh, but overseas it starts if you want to go to brazil or south africa those places are really expensive mm -hmm. um but now i i could normally build it in but i'm once again printing them at a local printer i'm gonna have it shipped to my house and then i've got to ship it myself so any of those overseas orders are gonna punch me in the face but luckily it's built in it's baked into the project now okay 
I'm glad to hear that. I'm relieved to hear that. Uh, that fatal error has proved, well, let, let me rephrase that. That almost fatal error has almost proved fatal to some <laughs> of the companies that I hold near and dear. Yeah. So, yeah. Your, your first Kickstarter is a learning experience. I think everybody looks at it as a as sort of a oh there's this credit card called kickstarter let's go get us some of that money and there's so many costs that you don't know about when you first sign up unless you read all the fine print if somebody did a one dollar um board game they oh. would ship you a little postcard and i looked at that and i said they're i don't think they realize they're gonna lose money and they had somewhere in the neighborhood of eight thousand backers right and they had to have lost a good 10, 15 cents on every single one because they hadn't calculated shipping properly. And uh, Kickstarter takes 10% plus 20 cents per transaction. And people oh. miss that 20 cents per transaction part, which yeah. is no big deal if your transactions are 30, 40, $50. But mm -hmm. on $1, you're only going to take home 70 cents. Ouch. And they were offering so much and they kept having stretch goals and we're going to drop this in the bag and everything else. And I thought when it was a postcard, it was costing you the cost of the postcard plus the shipping of a postcard, which is what 30, 40 cents now Yeah. to send a postcard. I don't, I don't actually buy stamps very often, so I don't know what the prices are, but there's no way they made a profit on the thing. There's just no way. No. I mean, I, kn I know the last time I bought a roll of stamps, I get them in the 50 roll. So right. I mean, that generally lasts through three or four increases. So that's yeah, I mean, yeah. to hear about that. I, yeah, and when I see that stuff, I want to I, – it's hard to reach out and help people once they've already launched, right? Because they can't change anything once it's out there. But um, you just wish that some of these people would come and ask for your help. I mean, one hour of my time, you know, let's say they pay my consulting fee for just an hour. I can walk them through, okay, well, I've done this 21 times now, so I know what I'm talking about when I say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm finding doing the, this is a 15-day, what I call quick starter, mm -hmm. um, and I'm finding that works out better for me than doing a full month. I end up oh. making the same amount of money, uh, relatively the same amount of money, and I'm not sitting there those two middle weeks just staring at the screen. Yeah, wow. But uh, yeah, you had mentioned earlier about how you would, the, the way of the Kickstarter, how it has a rhythm to it. And then on occasion, some people will back out. Yeah. And uh, can you speak to that for just a couple of moments? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's just this step in the middle and it doesn't really matter how long you're, you're doing it. People are going to either... They're going to back out because they don't have the money anymore or they found something else that they like or they just forgot that they did this as an impulse buy and they saw your update and now it's time to back out. Um, and you can't take those things personally. I think a lot of people early on, I did the very first time I launched a Kickstarter, I thought, what am I doing wrong? Why are these people backing out? But, you know, I, I contacted a guy once and I said, what happened? He said, well, I got mugged and somebody stole my wallet and my phone. So... I, I really can't afford to back your project right now. I said, yeah, that's a reasonable reason to not back my project. And so I sent him some free PDFs because I felt really bad about the situation he was in. Absolutely. That's horrible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
man, I, I'm just trying to think about that. And, and when was the last situation that, that I was in anywhere near anywhere, anything like that would happen? And I'm, well, I, I guess it just speaks to how far removed I am from from crime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, that can happen at any moment, though. Still, um, but on to brighter horizons here. <laughs> so um, now for your artwork, I noticed that you have some really, really cool artwork uh, for this new King for a Day. Uh, now, where would you say your best sources are for finding creative types and getting artwork? Not necessarily on demand, but finding sources for your art. Um, well, I did this for, I was an art director for almost 10 years in the mm -hmm. industry before I went solo. Um, and so I just have a lot of contacts, people I've known for years. Mm -hmm. I generally work with people I already have a relationship with. And I know you're supposed to branch out and find new people. And I have, I found a couple, mm -hmm. but I'm really persnickety and picky about artwork. Um, I'm not mean to anybody, but if I don't get what, what fits the tone of what I'm do doing, I'll just, I won't use it. It goes into a, what I call a slush pile and it sits there until I find a project I can use it on. Uh -huh. So yeah, in this case, I found, um, I won't say who, but uh, one of the people that I hired to do updated art in this just took way too long to finish it. And so I have to make sure that if I order any more because of stretch goals and everything else that I work with somebody I know. Okay. A, a known producer. Can... Yeah. 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 So a guy like Britt Martin, um, who I don't think anybody has seen any, you might've seen his work on that rat game that I'm working on. Uh -huh. Yeah. That's Britt Martin. I've known him for a very long time. Uh, okay. And so I can rely on him uh, to produce not only quickly, but quality stuff. And we have a working relationship. So despite all of his bad jokes, I put up with him and we work together, uh, I think quite well. Okay. So you'd say that, uh, that he falls within that triad, that Venn diagram of, of fast, good, and yeah. Cheap. Yeah, fast, good, cheap. Eh, yeah. yeah, affordable, how about that? <laughs> sure, fast, yeah. <laughs> Well, he gives me really good rates. I don't know that everybody else gets the same rates. Um, and that's the other thing is the the longer you have a working relationship with people, the more you know their material. I did a I have a project coming with um, Nagy Norbert. He lives in Hungary. And um, I said, why don't you just paint seven things you want to paint within these dimensions? And I'll design a game around it. And by doing that, uh, and yeah, I've already finished it. Actually, it's it's oh, done. Wow. It's just waiting for me to launch. Um, uh, by doing that, I really got his best work for almost nothing, right? Because he got to he got to paint things that he doesn't normally get to paint. These horrid monsters. Mm -hmm. These absolutely disgusting, mean-looking monsters. And so, the more you talk about this, the more excited I get about it. Oh uh, yeah, that's the one that's called Harpy Fields. I'll send you some okay. art on um, on Facebook. I'll send you some. Yeah, it's really creepy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that makes me gleeful inside. So yes, I. Uh, oh my goodness. Um, uh, 
how many backers would you say that you've got right now? Right now? I'll have to yeah. go look. I'm probably at about 150, if I had to guess. Oh, uh, right. Oh, yeah. I'm way off. It's 240. Oh, 240 people. Oh, my goodness. And, and I got a backer while we were talking, so that's funny. <gasps> Excellent. Now, would this be for the uh, first part that doesn't exist or for this part right now? What do you mean? <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> when, when I was downstairs. Oh, oh. Since I woke up this morning between okay. then and now. So sometime in the last hour and a half. Okay. Oh, that sounds great. Oh, my goodness. So um, other than Kickstarter, uh how has the creative lifestyle been to you and for you for this as I as I dig through piles of windows, make sure that I don't close the wrong one? One of the one of the things that ends up happening with me, and I I can't speak for other creative people, is mm -hmm. I I would launch a Kickstarter just about every month if it didn't burden my 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 fan base, my customer base, whatever you want to call them, the backers. Mm -hmm. um, I have that many games sitting in, uh, just sitting in in a in a vault, if you will. They're all done. I have maybe ten different practice games that are just done and ready to publish, but I can't just put them out because I spent all this money on art. And the one of the cruel facts of how the industry works now is you can't just put something on drive through RPG and expect it to sell without some kind of marketing. And Kickstarter is one of the best, whether we like it or not, it is one of the best marketing tools out there at the moment. It does get to the most people. And there's a lot of people that say, well, I'm never going to back into the Kickstarter. I've been screwed, blah, blah, blah. And I, I get that, but there's still a lot of people that continue to use it as a tool. And so I have to wait for gaps in the schedule where I can say, okay, it's time to launch another four games all at once. Let me make a, a Kickstarter for that because these are done and I've got to get them off my plate. Yeah. So would you say that the Kickstarter platform has been kinder to you than, say, uh, writing under the umbrella of a larger organization? Yeah, I, I've worked for a lot of big companies that don't know what they want, and I don't know that I could go back to doing that again. That would... That would be, I mean, you'd have to throw a lot of money at me to get, get me to, to not do, do things my way now. Yeah. Yeah. Be, being one's own, uh, captain at the helm, it, it, uh, it, it would take quite a bit to, uh, make that change. Yeah. Cause there's no stress in my life anymore. Right. And really, <laughs> yeah, no, not really. I mean, short of arguing with my wife, I think that that's the only, uh, stress that i have it, that and my neighbors they're loud they bug me no. um uh but no i honestly i the the i'll feel stress if i'm falling behind or something but i would feel that anywhere right if a customer's yeah. mad at me i would feel that working for watsi just as much as i feel working for myself but i don't have the stress of oh man this my manager wants me to add unicorns to this book and I can't stand unicorns. I don't have to add, ever add a unicorn, a bard or a gnome to anything I make oh. ever again. You know, I don't, I don't like those three things, obviously the context. Um, so th those kind of stresses are gone. I never have to have another creative argument with somebody because mm -hmm. I'm the final say. Yes. You're the boss. Half the sauce. Yeah. Okay. And 99% and of what I produce is mine. Anyway, I don't really mm -hmm. buy 
other people's material. Well, uh, oh gosh, what, what else was I going to say? Oh, I, I was talking to some friends of mine earlier, and unfortunately, the questions that were thrown at me to you were in a video game context. It's, okay. Sure. No, no, this is, we're not talking video games. <laughs> not, not today. This is, this is tabletop. You can ask me video game questions. I don't know <laughs> that I can answer them, but I'll try. Okay. Let, let me, let me pull this up. Um, how, how do you, when you are creating a, a, a different class or just a, a game in general, how do you sidestep the imbalance that comes into play when you are focused on just generating one character type? Ah, that is, that is sure? a great question. Um, I actually don't, for what I do, I don't worry about it. And okay. the reason is, is most of my games are built around spotlighting. So it doesn't matter if your character isn't doing maximum damage every single round at the same capacity as say the barbarian or the, the fireball slinging wizard. Um, the way I do things is I just want to make sure that everybody gets their moment in the sun. And so a game like Praxis, for instance, or the way that something like King for a Day is built, that there's so many story threads that a good game master or other good players are going to make sure that everybody gets their moment in the sun. No matter how relevant it feels, um, you're getting your screen time. So I, I think a lot of too much energy is spent worrying that this guy just did 42 points of damage that round and I only did 36. I'm not as effective um, but you, you are effective. You're doing something that needed to get done right now and you have access to abilities that nobody else has, whether or not they're equal in measure doesn't matter. I made a, a game called blood wraith and I wrote, I don't know, hundred plus new spells for it. It's, it has an OSR feel to it. And there's so many different types of magic and so many different spells in there that it doesn't matter that there's no magic missile or fireball in the book. Mm -hmm you are doing things with that magic that no other character class can do. So you already by default now are more powerful than anybody else. So measuring it mathematically, uh, I think strips the soul of design from, from those kind of ideas. Yeah. And, and that, that makes an awful lot of sense because we've been playing a fifth edition uh, campaign for quite some time now. And I, I see my poor little bird backing off in the corner and just being like, ah, oh, Eldritch Blast that. I've uh, got a range of like 260. Yeah. Insane. So it's like, I know they're far away. I'll probably whittle them down by the time they get up close to us. Um, so yeah, that's, and and also in that too, how, how do you avoid uh, just picking one ability and to just steamroll through everything would that fall more on the gm oh that's a yeah that's a really good question um i try to i'm making something now called plague nest which is similar to blood wraith but i'll have a lot more range to it i try to just create a healthy range of things that characters can do so you're not you just you don't have you don't only have abilities that work in combat you have abilities that work outside the context of combat as well. Um, 
I, I think people are always going to look for ways to break what you're doing and make that steamroller character. But uh, I, I ran 5E at a convention recently. This is a funny story. Yeah. Um, there was a sorcerer at the table, fireball slinging sorcerer, whatever he was. And then there was another character. I think he was either a wizard or a warlock or something. I don't really know all the classes that well, but mm -hmm. people were playing their stuff. And I already had a story in mind, so I was running the story. I wasn't worried about mechanics and whatnot. The fireball guy was just doing the same exact thing every single round oh. with the fireballs, right? And the other guy's looking through his list, and he's doing all these creative things with these spells. And mm -hmm. I thought to myself, well, this guy with the fireballs is killing a lot of orcs, but I don't know how much fun he's having that combination that worrying about that combination of okay i've got to do the most damage this round i've got to do the most damage this round i think it it pulls us out of the moment of enjoying the game i, I remember my days of first and second edition and vexing mike my buddy mike he was jamming for us when we were playing mm -hmm. i would vex him with the stuff i would come up with okay i want to do this i want to I want to jump from this parapet down to this guy. I'm going to have my sledgehammer down in front of me. What do I roll as I'm falling on top of this guy's head? Oh. And Mike's got to sit there and go, what? There's, this isn't in the, the rules. There's no, and that's what D&D &D should be doing instead of worrying about exactly how many dice I'm rolling when I throw that fireball. That's, that's so true. And it's, it's awesome that you bring that up where you're coming down and you're moving within three dimensions instead of just two. Right. Which reminds me of a previous guest that I will be having on Monday, Eric Eskew, who has designed role-playing terrain for Worlds Overrun 3D printing. So, yes. Uh, stay tuned for that one coming up as well. We'll be talking about 3D printing and design between dimensions. Yeah, I think when you start playing in that those kind of environments, you really get a different sense of scope of what your D&D is about. I think every time you switch D&D's medium a little bit, you put it on a computer or you just you do all your spreadsheeting on your laptop when you're game mastering, I think... I think you change the tone in which D&D gets played. Maybe that's what makes it so flexible. Oh, absolutely. Ha have you ever played with 3D train? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played, yeah, at conventions. I don't have any. I Well, I used to have the Dwarven Forge stuff. Hmm? I was, uh, he sent me a bunch of free stuff way back in the day when he started up and I reviewed it for the magazine I was hmm. working on. Uh, and so we would set up dungeon crawls at the house and whatnot. But the problem is, is the work involved in setting that up beforehand you could only really get in one or two encounters within that framework and yeah. then you've you've got yourself a half an hour hour downtime while you switch things out and yeah and then you've pretty much got to do the time scheduling and and make yeah. sure that all of your players aren't just sitting there twiddling their thumbs right right i uh years ago at when d20 was first coming out we set up a table at Gen Con with all that Dwarven Forge stuff. It must have been, geez, a good thousand, two thousand dollars worth of. We borrowed some from people, and I just set up this giant, elaborate dungeon, and it was called "You Kill It, You Keep It," and we got all these miniatures from Raffam, mm -hmm. and uh, you just you had your character sitting in front of you was using the D twenty mechanics third edition, and every time you killed a miniature, you just got to take it and go home with it. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, so it was my job to just make it at because I was running the whole thing. It was eight hours a day on my feet at Origins and Gen Con. 
I would set up the whole terrain while the while the booths are getting set up, and then I would plan each day. The the I wasn't going to change the layout of the dungeon, but I would change the placement of the miniatures and that sort of thing. And they'd given us so many figs, it was great. But I still didn't want them walking away with fifty dollars worth of miniatures. Yes. So I had to, as game master, really you know make it make a them, challenge. Yeah, yeah, make it a challenge. Make them work for it. But um, yeah, I mean setting up those kind of terrains and using those kind of pieces. Um, I, I actually used to love doing that sort of stuff. I just, I don't have those kind of friends that I game with anymore that I do that kind of D and D play anymore, but there's, there's, there's something about that because we've been playing since we were kids. We didn't have those kind of pieces when we were kids. And so there's something magical about buying those kinds of terrains now. Yes, there, there are almost infinite and then with the ability to design your own and yeah. create your own, it's again, it, it's something to to accelerate your heart rate. <laughs> I think the big the big problem that they'll we'll never solve as gamers is making sure people show up and we ha that we have enough time to to game together, right? We have yeah. all these tools at our disposal that make gaming a hundred so times better easier. than it was when we were yeah. kids. Absolutely. Um, I know that uh, that at least uh, with with my own peer group here, I've got a weekly gaming group that gets together. Oh gosh, for four hours once a week, and it's been pretty steady for the last gosh three four years. And my right. husband's been uh, part of an online gaming group that gets together once a week for an hour. Uh, Oh God, no, that's two hours. That's for like going on 24 years. Wow. Yeah. They, they've been meeting online for that long. 24 years online. That's, yeah. er, that's early dial up days of the oh, internet. Oh yes. Wow. Oh yes. So, that's nuts. Yep. Oh my goodness. So yeah. Good old space shatter. Um, <laughs> shatter star. Yeah. So is that where they play Shatterstar? No, no, that's that's my husband's. It's it's a play on that, and so oh. I think they started playing Shatterstar like way back. I, that's a name I've not I've not heard in a while. That's a yeah. I remember writing a horrible review of that game when it came <laughs> out. Um, okay. Yeah, and, uh, but I was working at the game store. I remember when it came out, and mm -hmm. uh, I got to write my first review for a game magazine. And awesome. I thought you were supposed to roast games. And so I wrote this really mean. Oh. And then the editor wrote back to me, How dare you? Da, 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 da. These guys advertise in our magazine. Oh. I said, Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't be too mean. Not, no, not well, when it comes to that. I can. But yeah, I think oh, in general, yeah. people can't. Um, yeah. No, I, I mean, I know the, the ones that I do review, I, I try to not, uh, if anything, I, I just try to remain thankful. You know, they, thank you for letting me take a look at your game. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, and then just as diplomatically as possible, well, for fans of the genre, um, that's generally a telltale that I don't like it at all. So... Oh man, what what else was I going to say? Anything else regarding keeping uh, things balanced between classes? Um, 
no, I think I've said a lot on that. I'm not, yeah. I, I like asymmetry to be honest. I think mm -hmm. there's something to be said for a character that has to grow into their pants, so to speak. Um, and I think that's okay. I think fighter type classes have a really boring linear growth to them and you don't see a lot of change. And I think it, there's something kind of interesting about a first level wizard who then grows into a, a 15th level world destroying kind of character class. There's the problem is you have to play for a long time to see results. And yes. that's probably why we're so obsessed with balance now is people just don't play characters that long. No. So it doesn't seem like that to me yeah. very often. So again, uh, how many Kickstarters have you done now? This is my 20th or 21st, I think. Yeah, I've done a, yeah, I've done quite a few. I have, uh, I still have one outstanding that's been sitting in the background for a long time, but mm -hmm. it was only $1 to back. So I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. It's halfway done. I'm on page 112 or something like that. And now all I have to do is finish writing the rules, but they're getting yeah. a really big game for their dollar. It's just, um, it's finding the time to sit down and just finish writing it. Uh, and I know that that sounds weird considering how much stuff I put out, but that project only made a couple of bucks. It didn't actually make that much money. And so uh, I have to continue to put out Kickstarters just to pay my rent, so to speak. So I have to, um, I, I can't put every moment into that game like I would like to. Understandable. Um, but, oh, what was I going to say? That ties into what we were speaking about earlier uh, in the segment that shall not be named. Uh <laughs> <laughs> thing that we said we wouldn't mention that we keep mentioning yes that's true um so uh earlier you had brought up uh issues of uh editing forever um <laughs> true yeah <laughs> is is this one of those projects that you're going to ongoing it's just going to be an ongoing process that you'll always find improvements to make I hope not. I honestly want this to be, be it. I would very much like this to be it. I don't, this thing gets five out of five stars every time somebody reviews it. So I'm, I'm quite happy with that part of it, that the writing is solid and whatnot. It still needs some editing, but I always thought that the art was really ugly in the first edition. And that was just due to me not having any money to buy what I wanted. Um, and, and I'm so glad I didn't spend more because I already lost money on the first Kickstarter anyway. That just would have been so painful yeah. uh, to then spend $2,000 on art on top of that. Um, it, yeah. So in this instance now, I've been able to buy the art in the background a couple of bucks at a time here and there. So I don't even feel it um, uh, when, when, a, when, this project, when this project finally comes out and is done. I won't really feel the art cost the way I would if this were my first book, I'm now 200 plus books in uh, yeah. on, on drive through. But um, yeah, I, I think that once this is out, I don't want to touch it again, to be honest. And also you had mentioned uh, keeping artwork in the slush pile for yeah. recycling into different projects. And I can see that I think when I go up, to drive through and I'm looking at your blood stain. 
some cover pieces that are just minor variations between. Oh yeah. Well, those were all stock art. All those covers were stock art by oh. Daniel Comerci and he, uh, he actually makes that art pack of four different wraiths. Oh, wow. so, um, the, the story of how that game came about is just hilarious, but yeah, I essentially just named it blood wraith because I had those four pieces sitting around. Oh I, I built the the idea of the race around those pieces of art. Wow! I wanted to use them. They're gorgeous. So. Yeah, they are. That and and that they do look very attractive. The covers yeah. too, and uh, I mean, you can obviously see it's a unifying theme there. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, is there anything else that you would like to uh, speak about? would like to tell us today like remind us again where your kickstarter can be found uh well it's on kickstarter it's called king for a day revised there's only six more days left to it so yeah. um there's not a lot of time uh but Get in the, there. if if you just want the pdf that's not that expensive but the books are expensive because they're getting printed off press and then they have to get shipped again i'm mm -hmm. signing them all that other good stuff so uh, this the only way to get this edition of the game this the, this version the, mm -hmm. these versions of the books rather than a POD version through drive through the only way to get them is through this Kickstarter they won't be available later okay no. and again that is until what Tuesday I think so the okay. uh, the twenty twenty sixth no Wednesday 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 or Thursday yeah something like that yeah because yeah, you said six more days today's twentieth so yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And today's a Thursday. You know, I lose track of days all the time because I work from home and I work every day. So I don't know when weekends are anymore. Oh. <laughs> now, see, see that that one I do know because that's when it's like, oh, you're here. You're here <laughs> today? Oh. Yeah. Oh, it's the weekend. <laughs> My wife works from home two days a week now. Mm -hmm. So she's here four days in a row. So. Oh, wow. So I'll be working when she's working and then maybe she wants to do some work on the weekend. And so I'll work in my office mm -hmm. and there's this, I, yeah, I can lose. I've had a couple of Sundays roll around where I don't realize it's a Sunday until, yeah, too late. until it's, yeah, until it's too late. And so I'll lose a weekend and I'll forget to go out hiking or whatever. So anything else, is there anything that you wish I would have asked you today? <laughs> what happened to that list? I gave you a D20 list. You did give me a D20 list. <laughs> <laughs> I was so looking forward to the D20 oh, okay. list. I, I was unaware. Let's see. Do I have a D20 laying around? And here is the, uh, I left all of my gaming dice downstairs. No. Oh, I'm horrible. Do you need me to roll a die? Yeah. 14. 14. 14. Okay. Now, as I as I do one last check around to see if I have any laying around. I, I have one just faced up right now on my desk. It says 14. 14. I didn't roll it. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, <laughs> eight, nine, I should have ten, picked a higher number. 11, 12, 13, 14. Video games or tabletop games? Tabletop games. That was who wrote that question? Come on. I did. Oh, I Actually, thought I wrote no, it. I didn't write that question. I didn't write that question. Yeah, I don't know. Because I remember making the list 14. for you. What's that? 
That was number fourteen on my list of yeah. generic interview questions. Yeah, give me a, give me the next one because that's a that's a boring one. Star Wars, Star Tracker for those that like <laughs> neither Dune. Yeah, Dune because we okay. talked about this last podcast too. <laughs> and you that's why me. that's why I haven't that's why I haven't pulled out that list is because that that we have gone over this this list exhaustively. Yeah. Yeah, exhaustively. I think, I think let, let's go with number. Oh, that was 14, 13. Number 10. Okay. Number 10. Okay. So, your younger sister, damn it, Cindy, she gets you one of those DNA kits. You've returned, oh, no. you've returned the vial of spit, and then suddenly men in black swarm your home, <laughs> and you learn that you had a secret parent with lineage far, far from home. Perhaps from another galaxy. What does this new knowledge now explain to you about yourself? Oh wow. Um I could go so dark with this answer. Um what is I don't I, that's a tough question. That is a funny question, by the way. <laughs> um I think I'd be a little disgruntled, by the way, to find out that I've wasted all this time. Cause I'm now, you know, I'm in my late forties now. So <laughs> I to find out that I had the wrong parents. Pretend, Dad, I spent all that yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's weird because that's a really strange question. Um, I think I would be mostly upset about how long it took to, <laughs> to learn the truth. That would bother me more than anything. Mm. Okay. But did that really explain anything to you about yourself? No. You just got, no, it, you just actually, got mad it, at your situation. It, it would explain a great deal because uh, I grew up in a house of really – dumb people and i'm not trying to be mean here they were really they most of them survived the depression they were constantly in survival mode and they just hated anything that wasn't them and i was i could sense at a very young age say six seven eight years old that i was smarter than everybody in the house and that was really frustrating because when you're smarter than adults they just tell you to shut up they don't want to be reminded of how dumb they are so yeah, that would be the probably the the and see how dark that got. That's a dark answer. Well, no, it's true because I identify with that. It, it's such a level. Yeah. Oh, oh man, because I was adopted by my grandparents. Of oh, course they lived through the depression yeah. and all of that. So I mean, I totally get that survival mode. I catch myself, you yeah. know, all the time. Like, no, this is a learned behavior. Um, yeah. I gotta cut it out. So yeah, 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 yeah I, 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 I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so we got a not. It's not really a gaming answer to your question, but we got an answer no. out of that question. Absolutely. Um. So yeah, let me see if I have any more on here that I have not asked you before, and I'm pretty certain that I've already asked you about the most agonizing career decision you've ever had to make. Yeah, I did, and I already know that. Yeah, I think, I think, and that uh, was uh, you going out on your own. No, well, no. I mean, hmm. I, I, I've been offered jobs before. I don't get offered jobs a lot because I just don't have a sexy resume. Um, it, people don't want to hire game designers to go work in their warehouse. Uh, I've been offered jobs before and turned them down simply because I was having too much fun doing what I was doing wherever I was. Okay. And 
in hindsight, that was bad for my career, right? I should mm-hmm. have taken the dive and gone off and done these other things. Yeah. I was offered a job doing a um, writing and laying out textbooks for school, and I turned it down. That See, was a, I used to do that for yeah. corporate training. Yeah. But well, this yeah. would have been uh, elementary school textbooks, that kind of thing. Ah. Um, so you would have been, you would have had the opportunity to infect little minds. Well, at least do it pretty, <laughs> make yes. it pretty. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so that's one of the jobs that I regret turning d- uh, down kind of thing. Um, now that leads me to another one, which I think I haven't asked you before, but what job, if you were offered it, would make you immediately drop everything that you're doing right now to say yes to? Um. A writer for WWE, number one. Oh, yeah. Uh, number two, maybe work on The Amazing Race. If I could be one of the guys that helps build the the games that they have to do on The Amazing Race. And uh, uh, being the art director for the Vampire Card Game. I, I've always wanted to do that. Yeah, that's, I've always wanted to do one set. I offered to do a set for free back in the day when uh, White Wolf was publishing. And I said, I will art direct one set for you for free because I've always wanted to uh, order art and commission pieces and write art descriptions for that game. Okay. See, now you you brought up WCW, and I'm trying to pull up. There's a new one, and have you – seen that or heard anything about AEW? That's AEW. Yeah, yes. AEW, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm nervous to be honest about it. Um, really? They're not going to have writers. Everybody's no. in charge of their own storylines. Oh, and so... Oh, that could be messy. Yeah, I, I think that there's something brilliant about that, but you still need a booker, somebody to come in there and arbitrate and say, okay, Dylan, your storyline is now rubbing up against Bob's storyline. One of you has to relent. One of you has to lose in this feud. Um, that kind of, I, I've watched WWE do it wrong, right, with Bray Wyatt. I don't know if you're familiar with Bray. Um, he had some great storylines going on, and then they teamed him up with uh, Matt Hardy, and I think that just ruined his character for a very long time. And so sometimes that arbitration can also go against you, but from what I've seen from AEW, they're getting a lot of talent that wants to work hard for the money they're being offered. But I also think it's very difficult to separate your ego from what you're doing. If you're writing a, if you're dedicated to your storyline, it's very hard to say, I'm going to back down and let you have that shtick or that I'm going to let you win this feud or whatever. And that's, that's true. That's true. And I mean, in order to have a, overarching storyline that encompasses all participants. I mean, right. I think that you would need to have at least a staff writer to kind of rein that in a little bit. And yeah. Um, NXT right now only has one writer, but mm-hmm. WWE has, I want to say 40 writers right now, which is way too many. Right. Especially yeah. since everything gets funneled through Vince anyway. And then he rewrites the script based on, his perceptions of how wrestlers talk. So yeah, I, I think too many writers is too much. And I think too few is too little. Um, but you definitely need somebody who's overseeing the whole thing and saying, yeah, you can't do that because they're doing that on, they just did that story just three weeks ago on the other channel. Yeah. Now uh, shifting gears just a little bit. 
Music question. I probably mm-hmm. already asked you this one before. What's the first music album you ever bought with your own money? Uh, 45 or LP? The first music album you bought uh, with your own uh, money. Don't Look Back by Boston. I bought the 45 at Music Plus in North Whittier. Okay. Yeah, I know exactly where I was. I know exactly. And I think that back in the day, there were a dollar to get them. So that was oh, my wow. dollar. That's all I could afford. Mm-hmm. And I bought, and I didn't even know who they were, and I didn't even know what it was going to sound like. Mm-hmm. So I just bought it based on the name. I was seven years old. Okay. Yeah. That's about right. Oh, man. Mine was uh, Steve Vai. The audience is listening. Oh, that's a on good one. Tape. On tape, on cassette. Yes, in Walmart. <laughs> you are much younger than I am. Oh, man. Well, it it was at Walmart, and I think I was in the seventh grade. So, wow! Yeah. yeah, good times. <laughs> That's a great question. Well, thank you. Let's see now. What album now can you listen to all the way through without skipping a single track? Uh, Fate's Warning, a Pleasant Shade of Gray. Okay. You know I run a heavy metal podcast, right? No. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. So I talk music all day with Brendan Davis. Oh my goodness. So yeah, you're going to have to tell us all what that is. It's so called, I know where to go and look this up. It's called the metal workshop on the bedrock games podcast page. I okay. don't actually know where I'll find it. Hold on a second. Cause he sends me the links and he's in charge of all that. It's on Podbean. Okay. And it's called bedrock podcast and it's the metal workshop sub genre and we've done 10 episodes so far the last one was about guitar players um but we really get into it with metal we talk about all the sub genres of metal and what we like and don't like Uh we did we did an episode where we talked about the 20 essential metal albums um and what was your what was your list oh my god you want all 20 of them no just your additions to the list uh my di- well, Fate's Warning, Pleasant Shade of Grey. I insisted that mm-hmm. that be on there. Uh, Tool, Lateralis, mm-hmm. Sword, uh, Age of Winters, a couple of Judas Priest albums, mm-hmm. two Iron Maiden albums, uh, Dio, Last in Line, Black mm-hmm. Sabbath, Heaven and Hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I can't remember every single one on there. But uh, oh, Opeth, um, did we do Pale Communion or did we do Heritage? Opeth Heritage, that made the list. Okay. I, I've been, th- this makes me happy because I've been harassing uh, Santos Montano from Old Man Gloom to be a guest. I, I just keep bugging him. Please be a guest. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he finally said yes yesterday. So, ah. but yeah, let's see. Now, what else? Let's see. Any other music? questions no oh what song would you like to have played at your funeral at my funeral uh still remains by fate's warning all right it's really long and Mm -hmm. moody and it goes through all the ranges um and so people would have to sit around and listen to the whole thing they couldn't get up and leave yes man see that that probably beats the hell out of uh my orchestrated mud wrestling 
in a kiddie pool with jello <laughs> over but, my remaining <laughs> earthly belongings. I see. Yeah, I figured that would be a good way to settle those arguments. But it would be to have a ticketed event where everybody just fight. <laughs> fight. <laughs> at your at your funeral? Oh yes. You want them fighting in jello at your funeral? Yes. With a with a nice score soundtrack. That'd be great. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, is there anything else that you would like for me to ask you today? Uh, uh, uh no, I'm just I could have dragged that out, that noise. No, okay. no, I'm good. Okay. I'm good. Oh. I mean, we've we've tried this three times now. This pot this interview went through without getting cut off. So Yes. Let's and not let's not press it. Nope. Nope. <laughs> so again, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me Absolutely, today. Yeah. Yes. And you take care and I hope to speak with you again in the future. And you have an awesome day, everybody. Bye. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.